Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we thank you for uh, giving wisdom, not only to our brethren, but those who are coming down the road, how to deal with this faction wickedness. Thank you so much, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we're going to call this Faction Cannot Prevail, number six. Um. A word by faith at random that I thought best reflected this whole correction was Isaiah 1 and 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Well, we know that correction is necessary, but also offers of grace to those who will repent, like a lot did when he came out of Sodom. So to any who confess their sins, God will give grace. And of course, we offer our complete help and uh, love to set the captives free. Um, Don't tarry, because wrath is on the way. Come out from among them. This is a revelation I want to share. Uh, We called it backstabbing deception. And it was given through an anonymous person. I dreamed that David had received a message that the satanic faction leader was sending text messages to the children. Well, let me say, the demons in Kevin C. Ray, that's R-E-A, a little different spelling than normal, have taught his understudies to send slander in ways that do not implicate them or him as the culprit. They have sites with slander that did not identify the slanderer, (laughs) but we know who it originally comes from, Kevin C. Ray. Why do they hide and backstab? For instance, when Eve was captured by their witchcraft and voodoo, and Michael and I were casting the demons out, we recognized Kevin's voice and slander. These were slanderous lies that Eve never believed before he injected her with his demons. It was dark out, and David was showing people these messages from the Satan faction to the children before the faction could delete their messages. Hmm. So they get caught. They think they're real smart. Kevin thinks he's real smart. But nobody's dumber than a person who turns away from God to Satanism. Uh, we already know where it comes from. It doesn't matter who wrote it. And we are declassing him now. The person who showed David these messages was someone in the back seat of a red 
parked car. I don't know exactly who it was, but I believe it was a man. Um, well, I believe it's an insider telling the story of Kevin C. Ray's backstabbing treachery. The message that the factious leader, that's Kevin, was uh, specifically sending out to deceive the children was, I'm going to teach you how to be in secret, and I'm going to teach you how to hide. I knew they were trying to show his spiritual children how to be deceptive and undetectable in their faction to deceive others so that he and they wouldn't be found out. So why does he have to hide? Uh, why come he doesn't come out and just speak face to face? What is he afraid of? Well, I'll just give you the short list. <laughs> Because the lie would be refuted when brought into the light, and the witnesses would speak truth against him. The Lord had us record and text some of the testimonies of his victims. We we didn't know why. We found out it was because he planned to kill them with witchcraft to cover up his sins. But in quite a few cases, this failed. He sent a witch to kill Sandy by dropping a curse in her house. But she killed her mama instead that night. And I asked the Lord why he permitted this. And he said, because she wanted to come home. Mama May did want to come home. Uh, and I wanted them to be guilty. So you see, God is piling the guilt up on these people. It's going to come suddenly with judgment. So why does he hide? Jesus said, this is your hour, the hour of darkness. The factious Pharisees had to hide their evil works for fear of the people. Because Kevin knows what proof we have on him and his Satanists and uh, doesn't want it known, he has to hide. Why does he have to hide? I told him that the many places that the words factious leader are found on our site would have his name, Kevin C. Ray, there instead. Other dreams that we have and, uh, and never posted would be there too, like dreams of his perversion and uh, death, among others. Uh, he threatened me, saying, I will sue you. I told him, try it. But as you know, dreams are not illegal, nor are the witnessed fulfillments of them illegal. And also, when he took over Eve, he helped him, she helped him, delete dreams against him from my computer. But we were way ahead of him because we knew he was in and out of my computer <laughs> and have them all on thumb drives and hard drive copies. And uh, my old computer that he thought went bad when he hacked it and left his stuff in there. Um, but I just kept it offline so he couldn't hack it again. He thought it was broken. I told him, no, it's not broken. It works fine. I just don't put it online. Hmm. 
So we're loaded down, and we're ready for him. Um, he spent almost two weeks editing our dreams that Eve had filed for us when she left. And we didn't bother them because we can now show from my own copies what he did illegally when he gave our stolen intellectual property back because he feared the law. I'm sure he was unhappy to find that out. Also, Eve's dreams that she thought I deleted, I did not, but Michael and I put them on thumb drives. I didn't tell her because she was uh, in and out of faction, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. I noticed how shocked she looked uh, when I told her I still had them, and that was a dead giveaway. She had been taken out, but the Lord showed us the captive would be set free. Yes, she will, and she'll be better than ever. So, Kevin and his thieves came by here in the middle of the night to try to break into a closet that had a window to the outside. Uh, I believe he was looking for this computer and some money. It doesn't matter. But when they came by, the window had become a solid wall with no window. Wonder why we changed that. <laughs> Ain't God good? How come we're just a step ahead of him, right? So God is good. He traps them in their foolishness over and over. Plus, we identified the Satanist that he sent to the house. Uh, his second in command even stared through my bedroom window right into my face, wondering if he was really seeing what he saw, which was me. <laughs> he makes them make stupid mistakes. Michael saw the other one. Uh, the one I saw became an ugly girl and turned his pretty girl into a boy. Satanists always do incest with their children so that they can impart perverse spirits by injection. And then uh, we moved everything out of the house uh, they want so badly. Um, Kevin taught this ugly girl, Guy, how to call our women up in the middle of the night. Oh, and uh, the local college girls, too. Why do they hide? Because they're perverts. Kevin tried to seduce one of our youngest girls to run away with him. And I know pedophilia is not above him. And our sister Amber was contacted by these two perverts in the middle of the night and was a witness to us. They sent cancer and they killed her. But God's plan is she is alive and knows everything now. And they will soon find this out. And how? Hmm. What do they have to hide? We got complaints from the college girl contacted in the middle of the night several times. But we told them that they don't belong to us. And I thought later, I said, I should have told them to try the pound why does he hide? Kevin told one of our brethren that 
when he factioned out, he was living in a house in Utah with a woman, her husband, and another man. So that was three men and one woman. I accused him to his face, and he was shocked that I knew, but he did not deny it. I was watching for that. And when he lost his mind, after that he lost his job and apartment and couldn't do anything that took brains, he stayed with us as we tried to pray him through this. And it took, I don't know, a year, a year and a half, I lose track. But one day uh, I passed by as he was ogling the woman's picture on his computer, which he also put on Facebook temporarily. Yes, yes, we got all of that. Kevin also knows I know the general and special forces that capture his kind and has them executed before they can capture and pervert anyone else. And I may have already contacted him. So he prides himself that he is smart, but he leaves a trail like a hippo. So in the dream, I saw a group gathered around David taking notes, back to our revelation here, regarding what the faction was doing to hide themselves, as well as how to avoid and overcome them. One of the words I remember from someone's notebook was striving. Yes, Lord, we strive with the darkness and with the armor of light and with truth as we strive to enter in by the narrow door which the wicked cannot enter. Strive is a word used there. In the dream, I seemed to recognize everyone, but they were not all from the local body. They were also from Outreach and Greater UBM as well. Uh, I knew that we were all going to pray and do warfare regarding this. And that was the end of the dream. Well, that is a good word for you out there. Um, let us all do warfare against the satanic forces uh, because God is going to set their captive women, children, and men free by your commands. Do warfare against everything he hides. Let it all come out. Okay, and also that their hidden counsels will continue to be given to us. As Christians, we owe them our personal forgiveness. But governmental forgiveness that Jesus gave to his elders in the beginning is withheld until there is repentance. If he sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. There's a condition there. And uh, the early um, apostles, he gave authority to remit sins or not. Here we see God's opinion of the Satanists and verses received by faith at random. This is Jude 1. Uh, let's see, I'm going to call it uh, 14, and this is uh, in context 12 through 19. These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feasts. Yes, but faction ferrets them out <laughs> when they feast with you. Shepherds that without fear feed themselves. Yes, 
Clouds without water. No water there. Carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit. Yep, all dead leaves can't take in the sun. Twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And, of course, you have to be twice born before you're twice dead, right? Wild waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness hath been reserved forever. And to these also Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their works of ungodliness which they have ungodly wrought, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Yes, because whatsoever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me, Jesus said. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their lusts. Oh, how, I've never heard of anybody walking after any lust more than these are. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, showing respect of persons for the sake of advantage. Mm-hmm, yeah. But ye, beloved, remember ye the words which have been spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they said unto you, In the last time there shall be mockers walking after their own ungodly lusts. These are they who make separations, which, by the way, is faction, sensual. Yes, they're very sensual, having not the Spirit. Here's another one. By faith at random. Obadiah 1, 17 and 18. But in Mount Zion there shall be those that escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And that's what this trial is all about. Who's who, and who is going to do this, right? And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall burn among them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining to the house of Esau, for I the Lord have spoken it. So all who do not repent will be destroyed. Come out from among them. Here's another one. Zechariah 14 and two, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Yep, these dogs and hyenas have certainly done this, but nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Here's another one we got by faith at random. Psalms 94, uh, 1 through 23. I skipped around a little bit because we couldn't get everything in. <laughs> o Lord, Thou God, to whom vengeance belongeth, Thou God, to whom vengeance belongeth, shine forth. Lift up Thyself, Thou Judge of the earth. Render to the proud their desert. The Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? They prate, they speak arrogantly, and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. They break in pieces. 
that's what faction and dismemberment is, right? Thy people, they break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thy heritage. They slay the widow and the sojourner. And we've, we've actually seen them do that. And murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord will not see. Yes, that's what they think. They, you, they can't be impressed with anything that you say from the Lord. So just look at this revelation of them, slandering and trying to stay hidden. Did he not see? Will he not judge? He saw it all. And he keeps on seeing it all, and he keeps on revealing it to us. Neither will the God of Jacob consider. Consider ye brutish among the people. You fools, when will you be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the nations, shall not he correct? Even he that teacheth man knowledge? That thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. Well, when the wicked have crucified the righteous, they will be destroyed. That's God's M.O., right? For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Well, I suppose those whose hearts you move to do so, Lord. Amen. Shall the throne of wickedness have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by statute? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent, the innocent blood. But the Lord hath been my high tower, and my God, the rock of my refuge, and he hath brought upon them their own iniquity. Yes, because whatsoever man sows, so shall he reap. But, of course, they do not believe that. It's not convenient. They can't keep on giving in to their nasty lusts. And will cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God will cut them off. And again, we say, unless they repent. And another received by faith at random. This is David's Psalm eighteen, thirty-nine through 43. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Well, here's one that he rose up to bring uh, against the wicked, trying to take advantage of God's people. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also made mine enemies turn their backs unto me that I might cut off them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Here's another. Psalm 28 and 3. Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity that uh, speak peace with their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. Yes, he has a very smooth tongue. Um, give them according to their work and according to the wickedness of their doings. Give them after the operation of their hands. Render to them their desert. 
because they regard not the works of the Lord, nor the operation of His hands. He will break them down and not build them up. Here's another. Zephaniah 3, 14-20 Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. So, he factioned the wicked out so that their leaven would not leaven his body. He used them to crucify the body, and then he destroys them. That's God's M.O. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not fear evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, which is the bride, by the way, according to what was told to John, Fear thou not, O Zion, let not thy hands be slack. In other words, get to work. You've got no more restraint. These people do everything they can to distract you from the work. The building of the wall. Remember the faction that came against them when they were trying to build the wall? Yes. 17. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. Y'all know that song? A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that that sorrow for the solemn assembly who were of thee, to whom the burden upon her was a reproach. Hmm. Behold, at that time I will deal with all them that afflict thee. Mm-hmm. And I will save that which is lame and gather that which was driven away, because they've done a lot of that. And I will make them a praise and a name whose shame hath been in all the earth. And at that time I will bring you in, and at that time I will gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the peoples of the earth. So your Satanism Kevin is going to fail miserably, but you're going to be judged for it unless you repent. And when I bring back your captivity before your eyes, says the Lord. So the captive exile, as the Lord has shown us several times, the captive exile shall speedily be released. That's a thus saith the Lord. And another, Psalm 14, 1-7. This is a psalm of David. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. He didn't say with their mouth. They won't say that with their mouth. But it's in their heart. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek after God. They are all gone aside. They are together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Well, that's what it was said of the Edomites, that their knowledge vaporized. <laughs> their understanding was gone. They were, they were full of the stupid spirits, we call them. Who eat up my people as they eat bread. And call not upon the Lord. 
There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. You put to shame the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. That's what the devil's trying to stop, but he can't. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, then shall Jacob rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Yes, he's bringing back the captives. He's delivering the captives. Isaiah 61, the man-child's job, Jesus' first sermon, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Mm-hmm. Set the captives free. Also, uh, Jeremiah 29, um, 15 through 31, 34. Because you have said... The Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon. Well, let me say that a prophet cannot be in Babylon because then he is a prophet of Babylon and not to be trusted. And there are many of them, many. All prophets must have come out from among them like Jeremiah, right? He made an enemy of everybody, <laughs> just, just holding on to the truth. Uh, verse 16, Thus saith the Lord concerning the king that sitteth upon the throne of David, and con- an apostate leader, mm-hmm. and concerning all the people that dwell in this city, your brethren that are not gone forth with you into captivity. So they rebelled against the Lord and went to Egypt to save themselves from Babylon because they had no faith in God, because they rejected the word of the Lord, just like the faction. And many of them will die by the vaccine shots. I guarantee it. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the Babylonian Christians. That's them who he's talking about. The sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And I will pursue after them with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, and I will deliver them to be tossed to and fro among all the kingdoms of the earth to be an execration. Yeah. And an astonishment and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations with I have gathered them. There is nobody so bad as this satanic faction. Nobody I've ever run into in all of my little 52 years. Okay? This uh, judgment will come upon the apostates and the factious Satanists who are part of the same dragon who seeks to devour the man-child and woman. Yes, they are totally antichrist, as all Satanists are. Because they have not hearkened to my words. It's true, they cast the word of the Lord to the ground. It, they just ignore it totally. The Satanists hate the word. Their leader, Kevin, took down our site because we refused four times with witnesses to let him seduce a married woman. Apple said it was him that took down the site. They can prove it. They made war on our brethren who uh, prepare the word, but failed because God is with us. We're actually having a great revival. 
So, saith the Lord, wherewith I sent unto them my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but you would not hear, says the Lord. Hear ye therefore the word of the Lord, all ye of the captivity, whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's Babylon. It's, it's uh, our deep state that they're captive to. Not the political deep state, but our deep state. They're just as wicked. They're part of the same people who hate the people of God. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and concerning Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who uh, prophesy a lie unto you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. So we've been told by the Lord that our factious Satanists and their leader, Kevin, will be turned over to the deep state destructions. And looking at him, I would say it is happening. Uh, one of the, their women who was close to Kevin, who is close to Kevin, was taking up collections deceptively as though she was still in UBM for a friend who had cancer. So she was going to UBM people. We don't do that. We will never do that. This woman was caught. Okay. And she is part of the faction. And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captives of Judah that are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Did you hear uh, in a recent dream how an angel in the dream burned down the Satanist house of Kevin and Eddie when they were molesting a woman there? Yes, how come they always get caught doing that nasty stuff? Because they have wrought folly in Israel and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. So they're certainly guilty of this, um, just like Jim Jones. Yep. And have spoken words in my name falsely, which I commanded them not. And I am he that knoweth, and am witness, saith the Lord. Kevin uh, was used to doing this when he was among us. He would give false words of knowledge, something he already knew about, but he was claiming, you know, to be a prophet. So we've heard Kevin's false words of knowledge that he fakes. And after he killed his wife, Holly, because he kept not his word in front of witnesses, and went against our success in bringing her through every problem by prayer. And he turned to witchcraft, although we gave him uh, pages of words that we got for him concerning this. And uh, he turned to witchcraft, also known as pharmakia. And they even warned him, that it could kill her, very likely could kill her, and he did it anyway. So after he had killed her, contrary to all our warnings from God, he called me saying, David, I have a feeling everything is going to go south. Well, when she had already died because of his witchcraft, this was witnessed. 
He is acting like it was in the future. And he was being a prophet of the future. No, he had already done it. He was so cold and dead. He had already figured out a way to get this away from him. Then he called this gay, factious friends that he always spoke with, even when he was not supposed to be in faction, and told them that I killed her because they told me as a threat because I caught four of them in the act of sodomy in an open vision. The Lord took me in the vision and showed me them doing it. <clears throat> and I took it to their the leader of that particular part of the cult, which is really nasty. Uh, and I reported it to him. I knew where he worked. I went there, Michael and I. We went there, and I shared it with him. And Michael said, he's guilty. <laughs> he could tell by the look on his face he was guilty. And I also know those three that he committed sodomy on. 26. For every man that is mad and maketh himself a prophet, that thou shouldest put him in stocks and in shackles. Yes. Because you prophesy a lie, you're in trouble. You are in trouble with God. Verse 27. Now therefore, why hast thou not rebuke Jeremiah of Anathoth, who maketh himself a prophet to you, forasmuch as he has sent unto us in Babylon, saying, The captivity is long, build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. In other words, relax and enjoy Babylon's pleasures, and don't come out from among them, right? And Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the ears of Jeremiah the prophet. A little further down, in verse 31, Shemaiah hath prophesied unto you, and I sent him not, and he hath caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehelamite, and his seed. He shall not have a man to dwell among this people, neither shall he behold the good that I will do unto my people. Uh oh. And 30 and 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from Jehovah, saying, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will turn again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're going back there and beyond. We're going back to the truth that everybody departed from and stand on the land of promise, right? So let me say that possessing our promised land is spiritually synonymous with bearing the fruit of Christ in us, which the Satanists feel no need to because they don't have a conscience. I mean, literally, when this happens to them, they feel free. But, your, but their freedom is no conscience. Those demons totally blot out their conscience. Everything is okay. If it feels good, do it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Oh my gosh. What about all the peace that's supposed to be coming? trembling yeah 
Uh, Isaiah 32 and 10. For days beyond a year shall you be troubled, you careless women. That's Those women are representative of different groups of God's people. Like the queens and concubines and the virgins and so on. For the vintage shall fail. In other words, no fruit of Christ. Because they didn't have to. They were just there to fly away anyway. So, And the ingathering, that's the name of the harvest, by the way. The second largest harvest. Uh, um, the ingathering shall not come. Uh-oh. So, no rapture? But tribulation comes instead? Yeah. Verse 11. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, you careless ones. Strip you and make you bare. In other words, your works are worthless. And gird sackcloth upon your loins. Back to our text here. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Well, this is talking about our personal man-child, Christ in you. Uh, we are birthing Christ, and he will soon be seen to the world, right, around us, right? Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And who was the woman in travail with? The man-child, Revelation chapter 12. And all faces are turned into paleness. <laughs> That's because the new man arises as the flesh is dying. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It's even the time of Jacob's trouble. That's a type of the church, by the way. Jacob is. He was a type of the Old Testament church, Israel, right? But he shall be saved out of it. Yes, the trouble is what brings them to the Lord, right? Crucifixions bring about Christ in us. Amen. And the crucifiers, you know, like the Satanists, they've got their job, and of course their time is almost up. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off of thy neck, there you go, and will burst thy bonds. And strangers, that's the factious apostate strangers to the kingdom, because they're not in the kingdom, shall no more make him their bondman. Oh, praise be to God. You're going down, Kevin. I'm telling you, you better repent now. But they shall serve the Lord their God. And David, representing Jesus and the man-child reformers, their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be quiet and at ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, says the Lord, to save thee, for I will make a full end of all the nations whither I have scattered thee. Let me say that these wicked predators who have captured God's people, are around the world. Satanist groups are around the world. They all do the same thing. If they're not trafficking women, they're trafficking children. They are the most wicked. But I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will in no wise leave thee unpunished. 
For thus saith the Lord, Thy hurt is incurable, thy wound is grievous. And then in 14, All thy lovers have forgotten thee, they seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the greatness of thine iniquity, because thy sins are increased. So, those in captivity to the factious, cruel enemy are there for their sins. That's the reason they were taken out, because of their sins. God ordained it, and He ordained it by the end of this hand of these factious, cruel enemies. But when their chastening is over, and they have repented, they are freed to go to their homeland. Ah, as their persecutors are destroyed. That's the M.O. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured, you see. And all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Who is an adversary? Satan. And who is the little adversaries? Satan's little helpers. (laughs) And they that despoil thee shall be a spoil. And all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. Hey, get ready. Get ready, Satanists. The factions will be at the mercy of the plague, sword, and famine of deep state Babylon. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, says the Lord, because they have called thee an outcast, saying, It is Zion whom no man seeketh after. Well, you see who they're persecuting? Uh, The bride, Zion. And they're uh, slandering the bride, Zion. The factions have slandered Zion, calling her a cult. (laughs) But everyone will know it is they who are the cult, because everything is coming out. And they're the nastiest cult out there. And though they might claim to you to be Christians to seduce you, they are not. They are Satanists, because they follow Satan. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will turn again the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have compassion on his dwelling places. And the city shall be builded upon its own hill, and the palace shall be inhabited after its own manner. So the people who rebuild the kingdom will exercise authority over the apostates and factions as it was in history. Because history is always repeated according to the Bible. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry. So after going through this crucifixion, they get the blessings of God. And I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. And I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. And their prince shall be of themselves, and their rulers shall proceed from the midst of them. And I will cause him to draw near, 
and he shall approach unto me. For who is he that hath had boldness to approach unto me, says the Lord? I'll tell you. (laughs) The man-child Davids will reign, and the kingdom will be restored in their hands, and the factious Edomites conquered, just as it was in history. The things that have been are the things that shall be. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the tempest of the Lord, even his wrath, is gone forth. A sweeping tempest, it shall burst upon the head of the wicked. Yes, and the Lord will stain his garments with their blood. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, and till he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days... You shall understand it. Yep, usually after these things happen, people say, wow, I remember that. And they go back and, oh, there it is. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, please repent quickly. Wrath is coming your way. Faction, Satanists. And 31 and 1. At that time, says the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, which is a type of the church, right? And they shall be my people. And, of course, the Edomite factions will be in bondage. And David put garrisons in their cities to control their evil ways after he had warred upon them and killed a lot of them and so on and so forth. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, the people that were left of the sword found favor in the wilderness. So it is true. Some people have not lasted through this thing. They were taken out. Uh, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So, in other words, this will be before the tribulation. Because they're going into the wilderness here. It'll be before the tribulation that Zion will be built. And the factious murderers of those in the running for the bride are conquered. The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again will I build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Again shalt thou be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. O praise be to God. Verse 6. For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the hills of Ephraim shall cry, Well, in other words, those once in apostasy, Ephraim, will seek their true leadership and Lord. They were factioned away from the house of David, right? They're coming back. Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion. See, that's what they're saying. Unto the Lord our God, for thus saith the Lord. Singing with gladness for Jacob. And shout for the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel, or the church. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the uttermost parts of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together. There's a little meaning there. It means representing those who have fruit, and those who are in the process of bearing fruit. Amen. A great company shall they return hither, 
They shall come with weeping, and with supplication will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by rivers of waters. That, that's the good word of God. In a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles far off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath ransomed Jacob, representing the true church of the called out ones. That's what church means. And redeemed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. And they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow unto the goodness of the Lord. And their soul shall be as a watered garden. They shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. What sorrow? Oh, the crucifixion they went through at the hands of the wicked. Thus saith the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuseth to be comforted for her children because they are not. Yeah, Kevin Herod killed her children with witchcraft and slander, but the Lord will deliver them from his Satanist cult. Mm -hmm. Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping, and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Rachel's children? The ones that were killed? Yes. So notice that the land of the enemy represents the spiritually dead, since the Edomite factious leader, Kevin Herod, killed them. So, this is a type of the resurrection from captivity to the factious who killed them. And we have seen two types of this resurrection for those who are physically killed and in those resurrected when, like when those were resurrected in Jesus' time, when he was resurrected as the man-child, the, the graves were opened and the bodies of the saints came out, right? So, and those resurrected from spiritual death under the factious Satanists, because that is spiritual death. These people don't have their, their uh, mind anymore. It's overcome. And there is hope for thy latter end, saith the Lord. Thy children shall come again to their own border. So the factious leadership will be shamed and destroyed from all their evil that will be revealed in the political realm and in the religious realm. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. So there's the apostates repenting. Thou hast chastised me and I was chastised as a calf unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Grant, in other words, grant me repentance, right? Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, 
I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a darling child? For as after as often as I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my heart yearneth for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord. You know what? We feel the same way about the factious. We pray that every one of them repents. We know they weren't, won't because the Lord showed us that, but we desire it, and we desire to help them, but we will not let them sneak in uh, their faction as though they had repented and did not. We all have dreams all about that warning. Verse 21, set thee up way marks. How do you make it to the kingdom of God? How do you make it to Zion? Set thee up way marks. Make thee guideposts. Well, the guide to the kingdom is the word of God that has been ignored. Set thy heart towards the highway of holiness, I'm going to call it. Even the way which thou wentest, turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. How long wilt thou go hither and thither, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Hmm. The woman church will follow Jesus in in the man-child, as Israel did Moses through the wilderness or the tribulation. Verse 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, yet again shall they use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof, when I shall bring again their captivity out of the land of death. Right? Yeah. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of righteousness, O mountain of holiness, and and Judah and all the cities thereof shall dwell therein together, the husbandmen and they that go about with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul, and every sorrowful soul have I replenished. Great promises for those coming out from under the faction. And the apostates too. So the land that had been desolate because of sin will once again come to life. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to overthrow and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And that's because the curse of the father's sins will not be imputed to the children. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Verse 31. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that they, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Huh? Well, just as the apostate church has broken her covenant from the beginning. And although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. And that's what the man-child's body, body will do, just like Jesus did, because it is Jesus in the man-child body that's going to do this again. History's going to repeat. And in, uh, 
In their heart will I write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And 34, For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin will I remember no more. So, and they shall once again become one flock with one shepherd, who is our Lord. And all praise to the Lord. Amen. Oh, thank you, Father, for this good news. And thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom against the enemies, the wicked out there who seek to destroy God's people and have destroyed many. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. We love you and we praise you. Amen. And Michael Hare is going to come and share a word with the brethren. God bless them and all of them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you open up our eyes to see that you're bigger than anything that we could ever imagine or think in our minds. And that there is no hindrance to anything that you want done for your chosen. And I thank you, Father, to take our blinders off to see that you're a bigger God than whatever we can imagine. And I thank you, Father, for doing that. And teach us, Lord, to believe what your word says and not what theology has taught us over the years, religion has taught us over the years. And, Father, I thank you for doing that. Open up our spiritual eyes to see the wonders of your word and what you have in store for your people. And I praise you, God, uh, for doing that in each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Well, I want to talk about, uh, first I want to give you some of John G. Lake. Uh, the man was, uh, had a powerful ministry. Uh, and uh, y'all heard all of this before about John Lake, so I'm going to get right into it. It's called The Love of Jesus Heal the Sick and Afflicted. He says, take the shackles off of God. Jesus did not heal the sick in order to coax them to be Christians. He healed because it was his nature to heal. The multitude surrounded him. His love gushed forth like an electric billow. Luke 6 and 19 says, For power came forth from him and healed them all. Some modern evangelists have degraded divine healing by making it a teaser to bring those desires of healing under the sway of their ministry. Jesus healed both saint and sinner to the dismay of his apostles who had not yet grown to the sole stature of Jesus. They reported to Jesus in Mark 9, 38 and 39. John said unto him, Teacher, we saw one casting out demons in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man who shall do a mighty work in my name and be able quickly to speak evil of me. He met a man at the pool of Bethesda, a paralytic. The man didn't add, did not ask for healing. Jesus went to him and said, Wouldst thou be made whole? John 5 and 6. Well, here Jesus was asking for the privilege of healing the sufferer. He healed him, and his love compelled it. 
Later, Jesus met the healed man in the temple and said, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing befall thee. John 5 and 14. Jesus' action is a perpetual rebuke to the priestcraft who endeavor to use the possibility of the individual healing as a means to force him into the church. The outgushing of his love for the world burst all bounds. And four times he healed multitudes. But some say, well, that's just Jesus. No apostle had such an experience, they say. When Peter went down the street, as the evening shadows fell, when his shadow reached across the street, Acts 5 and 15 says, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that as Peter came by, at the least his shadow might overshadow some one of them. The clear inference is that they were healed. And James, writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, not the little group of Jews constituting the kingdom of the Jews, but the whole body of the nation of Israel scattered throughout the world, both the ten tribes' kingdom and the two tribes' kingdom, shouts in James 5, 14, and 15, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. Now, not to prepare them for death, but that if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. He is coming into his own. Healing was the evidence of God's forgiveness. Heaven's testimony that their sins were remembered no more. Take the shackles off God. Enlarge your theologies to Christ's standard, and the world will love and worship him forever. Jesus' healings were not always instant. Faith is a large factor in regaining health in one of the letters received from readers. This question is asked, why are not all persons healed instantly as Jesus healed? The writer of this letter is mistaken in thinking that Jesus always healed instantly. A case in point is the healing of the ten lepers. As they went, they were cleansed, it says in Luke 17 and 14. The healing virtue was administered. The healing process became evident later. Again, Jesus laid his hands on a blind man and then inquired, What do you see? The man replied, I see men as walking trees. His sight was still imperfect. And then Jesus laid his hands on him the second time and he saw clearly, Mark 8, 23 through 25. Healing is by degree, based on two conditions. First, the degree of healing virtue administered or power administered. Second, the degree of faith that gives action and power to the virtue administered. Hebrews 4 and 2 says, The word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God passes on powers to cure to all followers. Jesus not only healed the sick, but performed a creative miracle on the man born blind. See John chapter 9. Being born blind 
it is self-evident the eyes were not a finished creation, otherwise he would have seen. The narrative reveals that the blind man did not know who Jesus was. Jesus did not make himself known until after the miracle had been performed. Now, let us analyze the incident. Jesus discovered the man born blind, verse 1. He then spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. Why? Because Jesus was a fundamentalist. The story of creation in Genesis says that God formed man of the dust of the ground, Genesis 2 and 7. Jesus, in finishing the creation of the eyes, adopted the same method. He stooped down, took up some dust, spat on it, put it on the blind man. This was not healing. It was a work of creation. And in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, it is said that in distributing the gifts of the Spirit to the members of the church, one was given the gifts of healing and to another the working of miracles. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Healing is the renewal of the body from diseased conditions. A miracle is in the creative order. The case of the blind man was an exercise of creative authority, not the restoration of diseased tissue. The man was made whole. The grouchers made their kick. The Pharisees examined the man and asked, Who healed you? He answered, I know not, John 9 and 12. It is clearly evident to students of the of divine healing that sometimes the Spirit of God is ministered to the sick person to a degree that he is manifestly supercharged with the Spirit. Just as a person holds a galvanic battery until the system is charged with electric force, yet no real and final healing takes place until something occurs that releases the faith of the individual. A flash of divine power is observed. A veritable explosion has taken place in the sick person and the disease is destroyed. This tangibility of the Spirit of God is the scientific secret of healing. A diseased woman followed Jesus in a crowd. She knew the law of the Spirit and had observed that it flowed from the person of Jesus and healed the sick. She was convinced it must also be present in his clothing, so she reasoned, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I would be made whole. That's in Mark 5, 28, Matthew 9, 20, 21. She did so. She was healed of a 12-year sickness that had baffled physicians and left her in poverty. Now, Jesus was aware that someone had been healed, and he turned to ask who it was. Peter said, See how the multitude is thronging and jostling you? But Jesus answered, Someone has touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Jesus was aware of the outflow. The woman was aware of the reception. Her healing was a fact. Here faith and the power of God were apparent. It was a veritable chemical reaction. Healing always is. And I believe the reason that people do not see the possibilities of divine healing is that they are not aware of its scientific aspects. The grace and love of God in the soul opens the nature to God. The Spirit of God resounds. 
When the Pharisees asked the man who had been born blind, what do you think of him? He replied, he's a prophet, John 9 and 17. Later, Jesus found him and said to him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Verse 35. And the man replied, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? Verse 36. And Jesus answered, He it is that speaks with me. John 37. The struggle of the centuries has been to free the soul of man from narrow interpretation. Jesus has sometimes been made to appear as a little bigot, sometimes as an imposter. The world is still waiting to see him as he is. That is Jesus the Magnificent, Jesus the Giant, Jesus the Compassionate, Jesus the Dynamic, the Wonder of the Centuries. Take the shackles off of God. Let him have a chance to bless mankind without ecclesiastical limitations. As a missionary, I have witnessed the healing of thousands of heathens. Thus was Christ's love and compassion for a lost world revealed. And thus the writer was assisted into the larger vision of a world redeemer whose hand and heart are extended to God's big world. And every man, saint, and sinner is invited to behold and love him. Jesus used science to heal the afflicted. The law of contact and transmission was the medium through which the master wrought miracles. Mrs. John W. Gowdy of Chicago writes, How can you speak of divine healing as scientific if healing is through the atonement of Jesus Christ? How can the matter of atonement and grace be considered scientific? Atonement through the grace of God is scientific in its application. Jesus used many methods of healing the sick. All were scientific. Folks, science is the discovery of how God does things. Jesus laid his hands upon the sick in obedience to the law of contact and transmission. Contact of his hands with the sick one permitted the Spirit of God to, in him to flow into the sick man. The sick woman who touched his clothes found that the Spirit emanated from his person. She touched the hem of his garment and the spirit flashed into her. She was made whole. Mark 20, uh, 5 verses 27 through 29. This was a scientific process. And Paul, knowing this law, laid his hands on handkerchiefs and aprons. The Bible says that when they were laid upon the sick, they were healed. And the demons went out of those possessed. Materialists have said this was superstition. It is entirely scientific. The Spirit of God emanating from Paul transformed the handkerchiefs into storage batteries of Holy Spirit power. And when they were laid upon the sick, they surcharged the body and healing was the result. Acts 19 and 12. 
This demonstrates, firstly, that the Spirit of God is a tangible substance, a a heavenly materiality. Secondly, it is capable of being stored in the substance of a handkerchief as demonstrated in the garments of Jesus or in the handkerchiefs of Paul. Thirdly, it will transmit power from handkerchiefs to the sick person. Fourthly, its action in the sick man was so powerful that the disease departed. Fifthly, the demonized also were relieved. Both the sick and insane were healed by this method. While the scientific mind always asks how and why, it is not necessary for the soul desiring Christ's blessing to have any knowledge of the scientific process by which healing or salvation is accomplished. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 40 and John 13 and 20, He that receives me. Now folks, men receive Jesus Christ into the heart as one receives a lover. It is an affectionate relationship. Men obey him because they love him. They obey him because they have received him affectionately. He has become their soul's lover. His love and power in them redeems them from sin and sickness. And eventually we are promised in his word he will also redeem us from death. Redemption from sin, sickness, and death constitutes man's deliverance from bondage to Satan and his kingdom. And establishes the kingdom of heaven, folks. The Bible shows Jesus healed the sick by his word. And he exercised authority over disease by speaking to those afflicted. Now we've discussed Jesus' healing through the laying over hands. Now we will examine Jesus' healing by the word command and other methods. They brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, that's the faith of those who brought the man as well as that of the man himself. And the scribes thought to themselves, this man, Jesus, blasphemed. Jesus met this opposition by saying in Matthew 9, 4 through 6, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, thy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, Then he saith to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. The man got up and walked. No hands were laid on this man. There was no external ministry of any kind. Jesus commanded. The man was healed. They brought a man who was dumb or mute, possessed of a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the man spoke. And the people wondered. This also is his exercise of a spiritual authority. When Jesus commanded, the power of God entered and ejected the demon. At Capernaum, a centurion came saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered, not so. Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. That is enough. And Jesus said, go home, it's done. 
And the record shows that the servant was healed in Matthew 8, 6 through 8 and 13. Many have laughed at the idea of man being healed long distances from the one who ministers in Jesus' name. But here is a clear case and the God anointed may still command God's power. To the needy, distance is no barrier. I now present mass healing. Four times it is recorded in the Gospels that he healed multitudes. There went out a virtue from him and he healed them all, it says. There was no personal touch. That's in Matthew 12, 15, uh, 15, and then Matthew 14 and 14, Matthew 15 and 30, and Matthew 19 and 2. God is not confined to methods. Heaven bows to the soul with faith anywhere under any condition. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely, it says in Revelation 22 and 17. Again, Jesus said, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 18 and 19. John 16, 24. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. That's what Jesus said. The apostle James gave command that elders of the church should pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. All is a symbol of the healing spirit. And this is the command, James 5 and 14 and 15. Pray for the sick that they may be healed. Where? Anywhere. When? Forever. As long as Jesus Christ reigns in heaven, as long as men on earth have faith in him, the voice of Jesus still is heard saying, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. John 14 and 13. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask, seek, and knock. Find Jesus. Mark 9, 23. All things are possible with God. And all things are possible to him that believes. Divine healing through prayer is as old as the race of man. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, records the healing of the wives of the heathen king in response to the prayer of Abraham. That's in Genesis 20 and 17. The second book of the Bible, Exodus, gives us the terms of a distinctive covenant between the nation of Israel and Jehovah Rapha, the Lord thy healer. In this covenant, God not only agreed to heal the people when sick, but not to permit the sicknesses of Egypt to touch them. Its terms are, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, <clears throat> and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes on this condition, the Lord agrees. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals thee. Exodus 15:26. Under this covenant, the twelve-tribed nation lived, listen, without doctors or medicine for 450 years until the nation of Israel had an army of 1,100,000 and Judah an army of 500,000. 
figuring on the same basis as the number of Americans in the army during the World War, this would give Israel and Judah a combined population of between 25 million and 30 million. King David of Israel gave the most extraordinary health report that history records. He said in Psalms 105:37, there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Such historic data should go far to convince the world of our day that an absolute trust in God is not only a safe policy, but a most scientific guarantee of national health. In this connection, we must examine Israel's national constitution as it was made the basis of national health. Firstly, its basic principles were the Ten Commandments. Secondly, it contained a law in which the Lord held perpetual title to the land. Thirdly, a credit mortgage statute. Fourthly, a distribution of surplus wealth statute. Fifthly, the most extraordinarily, uh, the most extraordinary labor law ever written. Sixthly, an absolute, an absolutely equitable tax law by which every citizen paid one tenth of his increase. This is the only national constitution given directly by the Lord and is the foundation of all national constitutions. For keeping this constitution, the Lord guaranteed the nation against wars, pestilence, poverty, destructive droughts, and lastly, I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. It says in Deuteronomy 7 and 15, the broad scope of divine healing in Israel is the basis of all faith in God for healing and was the foundation of the ministry of Jesus Christ, Israel's Redeemer, and the world's savior. Israel had been kept free of disease for 450 years through divine healing. Outside of Israel, there was no divine healing. No other religion in the world possessed healing power. There's not a single instance of this power in the life of India, Egypt, China, or Africa. The Hebrews alone from Abraham onward exhibited the power of healing at this time. Later, knowledge of Israel's God and his power to heal disease spread through the nations of the world. The prophets of Israel were marvelous men of God. At their word, empires rose and fell. Life and death obeyed their will. Earth and sky entered their call, and before their eyes, future history marched with events of the present. No men of any other nation equaled them. No bibliotheca of any other nation compared with their holy scriptures. Christ came as God's gift to Israel and Israel only. To Judah, the remnant of Israel, he came. Despite all that has been imagined and written of miracles in his childhood, there is not a particle of evidence that he performed any miracles until at Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. The Bible states this miracle was the beginning of miracles by Jesus, as in John chapter 2. Jesus performed no public ministry until he was 30. The law of Moses forbade it. So we read that when Jesus was about 30, he came to John the Baptist and was baptized. 
His baptism was his dedication of himself to the Heavenly Father. He dedicated body, soul, and spirit. To John, he said, into all righteousness. He was dedicating himself to God to reveal the righteousness of God. Jesus' dedication was wholly unselfish, but his dedication in itself was not sufficient to qualify him to reveal God. His humanity must be submerged in the Holy Spirit. As he was baptized in Jordan, this took place. Now he must be tested. He was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. This is to find out if this was to find if his dedication was a fact or if he will fall under the 40-day test. Three temptations were applied. Firstly, a psychological temptation to his mind, love of acclaim. Secondly, a spiritual temptation applied to his spirit that he might be by a simple acknowledgement of Satan, secure all the kingdoms of the world. When he conquered, the natural result took place in himself. Having overcome, the consciousness of inherent power was radiant in him, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, it says in Luke 4 and 14. Now, Jesus now makes the next advance. He proclaims his platform. Returning to Nazareth, he boldly declares, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. No more waiting for the release of the year of Jubilee. Jesus Christ, the eternal Jubilee, was at hand to save and heal. Jesus' ministry of healing and the marvelous faith in God that he exhibited in miracle working were no accident. Miracles must be his very breath. For 800 years before his birth, the prophet Isaiah had proclaimed, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap as a harp and the tongue of the dumb sing. Isaiah 35, 4 and 6. So to be Savior of the world, he must be forever the miracle worker of the ages, the death destroyer, the finality of revelation of the majesty, power, and mercy of Jesus. The very name Jesus was a miracle. The angel announced it. Jesus' birth was a miracle. His wisdom was a miracle. His life was a miracle. His teachings were miraculous. He lived and walked in the realm of the miraculous. He made miracles common. His death was a miracle. His resurrection was a miracle. His appearances after death were miraculous. His ascension was a staggering miracle. His pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the outstanding miracle. It was the one event in which his whole saviorhood climaxed. Out of heaven was given to his followers the spirit of the eternal to do in them all it had done in him. Sin, sickness, and death were doomed. He came as a roaring tempest, as tongues of fire crowning the 120 as the living eternal spirit 
entering into them. He proclaimed his triumphant entry into man through speaking in languages they knew not. His deity had lifted them into his realm, transfigured, transformed, and transmuted. Jesus bestowed the power to heal upon his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them forth to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And they departed and went throughout the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. He likewise bestowed power to heal upon the seventy. Luke 10, verses 1 and 9. Now after these things the Lord appointed seventy others and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself was about to come and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now, in order to be fully informed on the question of divine healing, let's study this question as part of the fully rounded development and life of Jesus. In beginning, his revelation of the life of God for and in man, Jesus chose the order of nature as the realm of his first demonstration. One, Jesus turned the water into wine, John chapter 2. Two, he stifled the waves, Luke 8 and 24. Three, he walked on water, Matthew fourteen twenty-five. These revelations of power over nature each surpassed the other one. And then Jesus astounded his followers by turning to the creative life of God. He fed the multitude by an act of creative power when he created fish and bread to feed 5,000. This shows the distinction between healings and miracles. Miracles are creative. Healing is a restoration of what has been. Jesus now advances into a new sphere, the order of sickness. Here he meets the mind of the other that must be conformed to his. Jesus heals Peter's wife's mother. This is the first degree healing. Jesus makes the blind man and heals him. This is the second degree healing, Mark 8, 22 and 26. The lepers are healed, healing in the third degree. See Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19. And again, Jesus enters the creative realm and creates eyes in a man born blind. Blindness from birth is evidence of an unfinished condition of the eyes. The creative process was not complete. Jesus stooped, took dust from the road, spat on it, and put it on the man's eyes, and in so doing, he finished a work of creation. The man saw John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Now, Jesus again advances. This time, he chose, he chooses the order of death. He raised the daughter of Jairus, dead, a few minutes. That's the first degree, Mark chapter 5, 22 and 24. Then Jesus meets a funeral procession coming out of the city of Nain. He commands the young man to live and he sat up. This man was dead for many hours. That's the second degree, Luke chapter 7, 11 through 15. His friend Lazarus is dead four days. His body is in a state of decomposition. And Jesus commands Lazarus to come forth. 
he who was dead arose. This was the third degree, John 11, 1 through 15. Now, Jesus again steps into the creative realm and announces his coming death. He declares of his life, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. John chapter 10, verse 18. And through this chain of successive abandonment to God, we discover the soul steps of Jesus. Every step was taken with reliance on the word of God as the all-sufficient guide. Jesus took the promises of God in the scriptures and permitted them to work out in his soul. Therefore, his promises to us are not made on his own speculation, but because of his soul's discovery of the mind of God. But he didn't let it rest there. He took each discovered promise and worked it out. He discovered the promise of supply and fed the multitude. He discovered healing power and made the blind to see, the deaf to heal, and the lame to walk. He discovered the promise of man, the master, when anointed of God, and he stilled the waves and turned the water into wine of life ever present, and he raised Lazarus and the widow's son of life everlasting, and he rose himself from the grave. He gave his promises as discovered and demonstrated truth. And he tells us these things shall be ours as we are lifted by the Spirit into the God realm and the Christ conscious realm. But it is the one real thing among the myriads of life's illusions and contains in itself man's future hope and his transcendent glory. Herein is the true dominion of man. We have followed Jesus through the continued ascents of his earthly career. And Jesus has developed in faith and knowledge and in favor with God and man, Luke 5, uh, 2 and 52, at every step. If we were to stop at this point and refuse to follow him to the throne of the universe, we'd miss the whole purpose of his life. Divine healing and every other outflow of his holy soul would be beggared and perverted if we failed here. Christianity is not a mere philosophy. It is more. It is very much more. Christianity is not simply obedience to beautiful commandments. Christianity is not only the acceptance of glorious promises. Christianity is a divine content. Christianity is a heavenly dynamic. And Christianity is the ultimate of all consciousness of God. Christianity is wholly supernatural. Christianity comes down from heaven from the innermost heart of the glorified Christ. Christianity is in the innermost and uttermost of man, declaring, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death, Revelation 1 and 18. Christianity is the spotless descent of God into man and the sinless ascent of man into God. The Holy Spirit is the agent by whom it is accomplished. The significance of Jesus' death was not in his sacrifice only, but also in his achievement in the regions of death. He took death captive. He liberated those who in death waited his coming and deliverance. Jesus took them in triumph from the control of the angel of death and transferred them to his own glory. 
David prophesied. He ascended upon high. He led captivity to captive. He gave gifts unto men, even unto the rebellious also, that they might know the mercy of the Lord. Psalm 68 and 18. Peter declared in 1 Peter 3 and 18 and through 20, because Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, that aforetime were disobedient, when the long suffering of God awaited, or waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that his eight souls, were saved through water. Unless we fail to comprehend the source of his ministry in death, Peter says again in 1 Peter 4 and 6, For unto this and uh, for unto this end was the gospel preached even to the dead, that they might be judged indeed according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. The apocryphal book of Nicodemus relates this. Jesus came to the regions of death, released the captives, and proclaimed liberty. It was this marvelous experience of Jesus in death ministry that produced in his soul the glory power of the resurrection, not only his personal triumph over death, but the release of those held in death's chains. In all the universe, there was none with such triumph in his spirit as Jesus possessed when death's bars were broken. With power heretofore unknown, he commanded his followers, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Glorifying in this amazing ascent in consciousness, he instantly found the eleven and breathed on them, saying, Receive ye the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20 and verse 22. This was Jesus' endeavor to lift them into the same soul triumph that he enjoyed. The ascension, the ascension was a further advance in triumphant consciousness, climaxed by his presentation of himself at the throne of God, where Peter said he received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2 and 33. This was Jesus' divine equipment as world of Savior. And from then on, he was empowered to administer the transcendent glory power to all who would receive divine healing, saving power. The empowering of the Christian soul from on high is the pouring forth of a Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ, high priest of heaven, that we may realize the uttermost of ultimate transcendence of the soul of Jesus in glory, hear him declare anew in Revelation 1 and 18, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Who would not rejoice to place himself in the hands of such a savior and a physician? Answering forever the world's question. Is he able to heal? Does he ever heal? Does he always heal? And to all we boldly say, yes, he is Jesus, triumphant, eternal, and omnipotent. Jesus called his 12 disciples and commanded upon them power and authority to cast out devils and heal disease. He superseded this by declaring, If ye shall ask anything in my name, it shall be done. 
The first was a limited power of attorney. The second, unlimited. This unlimited power of attorney was authorized before his crucifixion. It was become effective when the Holy Ghost came. On the day of Pentecost, this power of attorney was made fully operative. The Spirit came, first legally, they had his word, then vitally, he sent his Spirit. Peter and John instantly grasped the significance of the name. Passing into the temple, they met a beggar crippled. He was 40 years old and had been crippled from birth. Peter commanded, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk in Acts 3 and 6. Heaven's lightning struck the man. He leaped to his feet, whole. A multitude rushed up and they demanded, in what name, by what power have you done this? Peter and John replied, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you slew, whom God raised up, Acts 3, 12 through 16. Matchless name. The secret of power was in it. When they used the name power struck, the dynamite of heaven exploded. Peter and John were hustled off to jail. The church prayed for them in the, in the name and they were released. They went to the church. The entire church prayed that signs and wonders might be done. How did they pray? In the name. They used it legally. The vital response was instantaneous. The place was shaken as by an earthquake. Tremendous name. Jesus commanded this. He said, go ye into all the world. What for? To proclaim the name. To use the name. To baptize believers. How? In the name. Amazing name. In it was concentrated the combined authority resident in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Almighty name. The apostles used the name. It worked. The deacons at Samaria used the name. The fire flashed. Believers everywhere forever were commanded to use it. The name detonated around the world. More Bibles are sold today than any other 100 books. Why? The name is in it. It's finality. Philippians 2, 10, 11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. Prayer in this name gets answers. Moravians prayed, or Moravians, I should say, and the greatest revival till that time hit the world. Finney prayed, and America rocked with power. Hudson Taylor prayed, and China's inland mission was born. Evan Roberts prayed for seven years, and the Welsh revival resulted. An old black man, Seymour of Azusa, prayed five hours a day for three and a half years. He prayed seven hours a day for two and a half years more. Heaven's fire fell over the world and the most extensive revival of real religion in this century resulted. Mark sixteen fifteen through 18 says, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. 
They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And lest healing should be lost to the church, he perpetuated it forever as one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of Spirit. And to another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. The church was commanded to practice it. Is any one, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any married? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5 verses 13 and 16. The unchangeableness of God's eternal purpose is thereby demonstrated. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever, it says in Hebrews 13 and 8. Malachi 3 and 6 says, I am the Lord and I change not. God always was the healer. He is the healer still and will ever remain the healer. Healing is for you. Jesus healed all who came to him. He never turned anybody away. He never said it is not God's will to heal you or that it was better for the individual to remain sick or that they were being perfected in character through the sickness. He healed them all, thereby demonstrating forever God's unchangeable will concerning sickness and healing. Have you need of healing? Pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ to remove the disease. Command it to leave as you would sin. Assert your divine authority and refuse to have it. Jesus purchased your freedom from sickness as he purchased your freedom from sin. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we having died unto sins might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were, past tense, healed. Therefore, mankind has a right to health, as he has a right to deliverance from sin. And if you don't have it, it's because you're being cheated out of your inheritance. It belongs to you, and in the name of Jesus Christ, go after it and get it. If your faith is weak, then call for those who believe and to whom the prayer of faith and the ministry of healing have been committed. You'll get healed. Praise God forevermore. That's the end of the article. We're out of time. God bless you. Hope to see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy
mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in Jesus. 